Welcome back to another episode of USAV Bandwidth. I am here, Patrick Whipke, joined by my illustrious co-host, Mr. Chris Salazar-Mangrum. Today, we have two awesome guests with us, Tom LeBlanc, Executive Director from NSCA, and then Ms. Candice Aragon from PSA, Vice President of Marketing and Events. Thank, Thank you guys you for, for joining us. Pleasure to be here. So we are coming off the heels of Pivot to Profit, where Tom, you and Candice both presented on the anatomy of a successful MSP. And I, I kind of wanted to highlight that because for those of the, the folks who weren't at Pivot and just to further you know, discuss some of your findings in, in all of the uh, research that you and Candace did. So Tom, do you want to kind of start us off and give us just an overview? Yeah, sure. So I, I do think that this is a unique type of study that we worked on together, both organizations. I always think about, um, you know, the conversations that we have in this market about managed services and, you know, that shift from project and product-based revenue toward, you know, more of a service-oriented business model. And those conversations have been going on for so long. And I think people get so tired of them. In my former life as um, editor of a publication, I can remember one of my, my good friends in the industry, an integrator who felt comfortable to be honest with me, saying, enough already. If people don't get it, <laughs> they're just not going to get it. Enough with the we need to shift to recurring revenue conversations. So one of the things that you know Candace and I worked together on brainstorming was, well, how do we change that conversation for those that still you know, they're involved in that shift. They're still interested. They understand the need to shift to recurring revenue. But for some reason, they're just not doing it. And, you know, what we decided to do was instead of doing the old, this is why you should do it approach, we decided to instead try to identify a small but really strong group of integrators that, you know, between PSA and USAV and NSCA, kind of recognize are doing a relatively good job with selling service and incorporating that into their business model. And we would interview them and survey them to determine some commonalities about what makes a successful managed services provider or service-oriented integrator. Did I get that right, Candace? Yeah, you did. Absolutely. It's a brilliant approach, too. I like the shift from why you should to how can we learn from successful providers in that space. So well done. And that just feeds into part of who USAV and PSA is, you know, the network that that we have built and the learning and the collaboration is huge. So, you know, we want to learn more about, you know, some of these successful organizations. So, you know, we, where did you start? How did you figure out who to start talking to? Yeah, I can jump in here. I mean, I think that's one nice thing about, about PSA, USAV and NSCA is that we do get to partner on things like this. So when I reached out to Tom about this and, and we banded our, our forces together, we were able to kind of pool integrators that we knew both in AV, security, you know, some have IT as well, and find really the cream of the crop that we knew were doing a great job and talk to them. So the integrators that we surveyed, we had over 25 and they, they all service customers around the globe. Um, the U.S., Latin America, Asia Pacific, Europe, and the Middle East. And they've been doing recurring revenue for a long time. 60% of them had been doing it for 10 plus years uh, in regards to service-related contracts. And of those surveyed, uh, 33% of them projected 50 to to $100 million in revenue 
a year. So, so these aren't, you know, these, these aren't just small guys that are, are dipping their toes in the water. They were people who have done it. And, and as you'll see, as we'll talk about, done it a lot of different ways. Um, we learned there was really no one right way, but there were a few key pieces that were kind of the formula to success for the path of least resistance to make it a little bit easier on your organization to actually adapt and move forward with this model. I'm curious, what were some of the uh, avenues that they took? I mean, were there certain technologies they adopted or markets or just what did you find that was, I guess, an interesting discovery? Yeah, I can jump in there, Candice, and then you can add. But in terms of, you know, a commonality is along the lines of the products and services that they offered, there was some diversity there. There were different types of, of services that were offered. Some of the commonalities that we noticed related to, you know, kind of the road to getting there, a lot of training was involved. So, you know, the companies that, you know, are finding success in managed services or as a service or just simply, you know, like adding service contracts really successfully to what they do, training was a big part of it and sales was a big focus of that training. So one of the things that we always used to hear, especially in the early days of these conversations about, you know, migrating to managed services was, well, you know, the traditional salesperson in the integration market who works for an integration company and is very accustomed to selling those project-based packages is going to have a lot of trouble adjusting to, you know, more of a, a service approach. It's going to be too much of a, of a shift in mindset. And one of the things we often heard was that, well, what you need is you need two separate sales staffs, you know, one to sell projects and one to sell the, the service packages around it. But we didn't really find that in this survey. We found that they trained the heck out of their sales team and tried to bring them up to speed with what they're trying to do. And obviously, based on the sample size, you know, these companies found success doing that. So we didn't hear a lot of our old sales guys can't do this. We had to bring in a new crew. What we heard a lot of was that we trained folks to, you know, kind of bring them up to speed and help the company move forward. I think too, a lot of it was, you know, in regards to, to how they started doing it. Some of it was technology-based. For instance, if they worked with a technology partner that had a recurring revenue or subscription style model. Some of them operated that way. But one person that we had interviewed live at, at an event had said, we were just with our existing customers kind of looking at what we were offering them already and thinking on the individual level, how could we start taking a little bit more of that and making it more of a monthly service type of project? So as opposed to going out and getting all new business and saying, you know, this is our traditional business and this is now our new recurring business, they were looking at the clients they already had and seeing how they could deepen their relationship and just kind of change the style of the agreement and ultimately benefit both parties, right? Give give their end user something that they needed and, and help them a little bit more and just kind of keep deepening that relationship. So Again, not like exactly one perfect way, but I loved that feedback about kind of taking a look at your existing business and saying, how can we deepen this relationship? How can we, you know, move certain things to the cloud or, or just, you know, look at different ways that, that we can move into the service model? And that was a really interesting piece. I think, too, 
one of the things that was most unanimous was training. I think it was 96% if I remember right, or, or not training, I'm sorry, research. Yeah, 96% of them did their research. And I think that's the most important thing is knowing your business, looking at the lines that you offer, you know, the services that you're deep in and researching the best way to move that to a subscription-based model or to a service contract model. That is where you really have to spend your time is getting to know exactly the way to do it. So you're not just you know, on the fly trying to develop it. And it sounds like they're pretty innovative as well as strategic then in their thinking. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And, and culturally too, it, it was a, a top-down shift where they had to really deeply dive in and be all in. And it took time. So yes, they don't have to hire new salespeople, but they have to get the existing ones on board. So really making sure it was a constant, repetitive cultural change. And that research helps in that, right? That you're explaining, here's why we're doing it, here's how we're doing it, and help get buy-in from everybody. Yeah, Tom, it's interesting that because I always thought that you'd have to hire, you know, someone who knows how to sell a service as opposed to selling a a project because working with salespeople, I mean, they only sell what they're confident in. So I guess it, it, it does come down to that that training and that research and, you know, helping them be confident in what they're selling. You know, that, that's what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah, and I think, you know, an element that might not be reflected so much in, in the survey or really, you know, what we ended up putting in our, our paper that goes alongside with the survey is I think the leadership, it plays a big role in this, right? So, you know, company leaders, you know, Candace mentioned that 96% of respondents, you know, committed to research. And that's relative, right? Like, we don't know what they mean by committing to research. But, you know, based on the companies that we have relationships with that were involved in the survey, we do know that some of these company owners spent a lot of time, you know, trying to understand how to make this model work. And one of the big takeaways that I've heard is that you really need that buy-in culturally from the entire organization. And that starts from the top down. So the company leaders really need to recognize not that there's a revenue opportunity, but that there's a value that they can they can deliver to their customers in a more effective way through this recurring engagement with their integrator partner. And it really starts with the leader of the company, you know, kind of creating that culture and making sure that you know, it's embedded into into the team and getting that buy-in. And I think that's what really leads to the sales team. You know, whether they're traditionally a project-based sales team or not, I think that leads to, you know, pointing them towards success. I was going to say, so I, I just came from an event. It was a, a technology partner, but he, they hosted a cloud event. Right? It was just all about the cloud. And they hosted over 150 of their dealers and I got to tell you, the makeup of the room was very interesting. There was a dynamic that the change of the attendees at something that is cloud-based, which is just 100% more or less managed services. And that's the world that all of these dealers and this tech partner live in. And that is the evolution of where you know, not only technology, but business in the integration world is heading. And just to see, I guess that, I wouldn't call it next generation, but just how different the mindsets are, the, the, the strategic outlooks, and just how innovative the diversity of those discussions were. Actually exciting to see how our traditional AV security IT industry will adopt that as well as evolve more into that space. 
it was super dynamic and it was uh, very fun to see just a different different perspective, you know, 100% of the time within the week instead of here's why you should do it. Here's how your multiples are going to grow for EBITDA, this and that. Instead, it's here's our world. Here's how we're living in it. And once I understand it, know how to sell it and support it, we're going to do a lot of good for this. Yeah, I'll say I was at Pivot to Profit this year and the conversations I was hearing or the questions that were being asked in the sessions we're really around, okay, well, how do I incentivize my sales team to sell this differently? Or how do I set up these contracts? They were a lot more the tactical, like how we're, we get it, we want to do it, but how do we do it? So I think that the conversation is luckily moving forward in that way. But it's interesting to hear you say, you know, that the audience looks a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> The discussions are a little different too. And to, to your point, and I know you you called it out in the paper, I think it was in one of the Tom sections, but we, we have partners that consult on, you know, moving the sales team from, you know, traditional to a managed services, how to sell model. And I think Tom, NSC, I know USA VPSA has partners that we can you know, recommend and, and they can support our channel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we do. We have a lot of training available for making that transition. And, you know, it, it is a different mindset. And, you know, when you were describing the different makeup of the audience at that event that you went to, you know, I started to think about, you know, the training that's involved in being able to adjust to something that's happening in this industry, whether we want it to or not. Right. So circling back to the point I made at the beginning about how in the old days I used to always write about the need to transition to recurring revenue. So back around that time, there was another transition going on that we were writing about an awful lot, which was about how in a traditional integration setting, the integrator back then was selling to a facilities manager type position. And that was sort of changing and shifting toward the technology purchasing decision-making happening in the IT realm. And there's a parallel to the whole recurring revenue managed services as a service conversation, because what we hear from integrators that we talk to is that the folks in the the IT department who have that decision-making power feel a lot more comfortable with a model that's related to paying for something on a recurring basis. And then even more so, in everybody's regular lives nowadays, people are, are used to that sort of thing. They're used to paying for services that they don't own, but they pay for on a monthly basis, you know, like cell phones and, and that sort of thing. People might not own the latest iPhone, but they have it because they pay a monthly fee for it. And that mindset is seeping into the way companies are purchasing technology. And I think the important thing for integrators is not to say that, okay, well, I recognize this trend and this is the way my company has to be because not all integration companies need to shift to service. Some are built in a way that a project-based business model works for them, but it is really important for them to recognize that trend and make sure that their business model fits as the industry and the world has kind of evolved, evolving in the way that that room evolved that you described at the event you just went to. Candice, earlier you mentioned that there's many different ways to do this, but there were some key things that were, you know, 
very similar, I guess you would say. So do you want to highlight some of those key takeaways? Well, I'll definitely highlight from a marketing perspective that, you know, it was really repetition. And as far as getting it out with their, their end users and new customers, potential customers, multiple messages, updating their website, lots of email, lots of personal conversations, really making a full commitment, which I believe as a marketer is kind of the way anytime you're going to have some new initiative roll out that you do that. In terms of some of the operational pieces, like we said, the training and the research, that was consistent. People did them differently, to Tom's point. Not There wasn't one model for exactly how to do it. But the other piece that we looked into were some of the accounting functions and how billing was handled, what systems they were using. That's where, especially on the systems, there was really no clear takeaways there. Everybody kind of did what worked best for their organization and what was kind of native to how they operated anyway. But a lot did use third-party help for legal documents, for the billing services monthly. So diving into that report, I think will really help get an idea of exactly how people did it. And, and, and too, if you have specific systems you use, for instance, you can kind of get an idea when you go in there, how people who may be on similar systems were, were setting this up for themselves. Yeah. I think Chris and I hear that all the time. The, the, after the sale, Tom, the, the next hurdle is, is that billing aspect of things, because our integrators are, are in that mindset of, you know, it's, just the, the CapEx versus OpEx, we're going to bill you 50% up front, 25% in, you know, during the, the project. And once the project's done, another 25% and we'll call it done. Well, this is completely different. So, so the accounting team just you know, throws their hands up and says, I don't know how to do this, this reoccurring monthly revenue thing. So, Yeah. And I think like two-thirds of the folks that we interviewed didn't try to have their accounting departments figure it out. They ended up working with some kind of a third party to set up the financing options. That was one of the things that I was kind of interested in before we conducted the survey. And I don't know if I was surprised, but it, it was interesting to me that, you know, two thirds, you know, worked with a financing company. So I thought that was, that was an important trend. But in general, you know, one of the big takeaways that I had is that very few companies tried to do this alone. You know, they, they worked with other organizations to help them to pull together their new business approach to the service side. In a lot of cases, it involved, you know, like working with an attorney, you know, to make sure that the contracts are are written well and, and both parties are protected well. There were a lot of ways that companies enlisted outside help. And, you know, that that to me is interesting because we, we think about, you know, like the fact that so many companies are aware that it's probably important for them to earn more of their revenue on a recurring basis under contract. But really, really, the needle doesn't move that much from year to year in the integration industry. And I think, you know, one of the reasons is probably that a lot of those companies don't take that step to get more help. You know, one other commonality that I would want to point out is that it takes time. You know, very few of these successful integration companies selling service that, you know, Candace and and I and the folks at NSCA and USAV and PSA interviewed, very few of them like snapped their fingers and, you know, a year or two after deciding to commit to this are along the lines of successful MSPs. Most of them have been doing this for a while. So one of the things that I noted was when it comes to strategic planning, there's kind of a long road that you need to plan for, but 
you know, once you get there, once these companies anyways got there, they don't have any regrets. They're glad that they, you know, came out on the other end and, and they like what this has done to their business model. So planning, planning and time are big commonalities. Yeah, I think that was a big takeaway was that 61% said that adopting, you know, a managed services model significantly improved the bottom line. So it's definitely worth the long-term investment, but I guess what's the phrase, eat the elephant one bite at a time, right? And not try not to get overwhelmed with it because it, it does, it takes some, some time to work through. Yeah, I think just the world that we live in, everyone expects everything to happen mm-hmm. almost instantaneously now. And so, you know, when it doesn't and they don't see the, the return on the investment right away, then that's when they get discouraged. And I think that's that's part of the problem of, you know, you know the, the heavy lift of getting these, these programs off the ground and, and running. So I, I I appreciate you, Tom. You know, highlighting that because I, I think that that's a that's a good value. It's a good lesson for for everyone to hear that this is not you know a one year a two year investment. This is this is a you know part of your strategic five year plan of, of, of how you're going to do it. And so I, I I appreciate that. I mean, I think that that goes a long way. Yeah, speaks to the mm-hmm. leadership too, right? Of the ones that are taking this on. So you got to fight that instant gratification feel and just going for it for the long haul. And it's all subscription based. Is it subscription or RMR? What was the, the what was the tagline? Does it, <laughs> they call it all of the above, right? Yeah, my my free app on my phone. It's called the Premium now, right? It has in app purchases. Somehow they have my little video games that I'll play. A season ends every month. Ironically, every month. Five ninety nine. What am I doing? What about tacos? Tacos as a service. Has anybody signed up for for Taco tacos Bell? As a service, that's <laughs> Their a subscription yeah. service. <laughs> I don't know if my metabolism can handle that these days. Back in high school, maybe. That's a real thing, right? That's Yeah. <laughs> th- th- there's coffee as a service now, too. See, I could go along with that. <laughs> maybe more so than tacos. <laughs> yeah. So what, what else do you guys want to highlight from your findings that you guys think would, would be good for listeners to hear? Well, I, I guess you know, if I were to kind of tag, you know, the, the commonalities that I, I thought were really noteworthy, you know, it's not a set it and forget it thing. I mean, that's kind of what we were just talking about just now. But, you know, one of the things that we noticed, you know, through the interview process, you know, with these folks is they might get out of the gate with an approach, but these successful integration companies were able to recognize things that their customers might not have loved about the program that they launched. And they were willing to adjust their offerings to the point where, you know, they got it to where their customers, you know, saw the value that they hoped that they would they would see. So we noticed a trend where these successful companies were nimble when it came to their managed services or as a services approach. They didn't, you know, draw a line in the sand with what they drew up and decided to proceed with that no matter what. They shifted to the point where they they found success, you know, pursuing this model. So I think not setting it and forgetting it, but instead letting the model evolve with feedback from your customers is an important trend to note. I think that that speaks highly of not only the integrator, but also the end user customer. You know, th- th- that shows a true partnership between those two, that, that they're offering real-time feedback saying, this is what's working for us, this isn't what's working, can you guys adjust? And then the integrator then adjusting. I think that's huge. And that, that takes a special partnership between both the integrator and the um, and the end user customer. Yeah, I think another thing we haven't yet touched on was the investment. I know we've we've heard a lot of people say that that was a, a reason why they hadn't jumped in yet was the initial upfront investment monetarily. 
And the majority of these integrators were not spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to get the program up and running. It was more, you know, time and commitment than it was dollars being thrown at it to get the thing launched. Yeah, just to, you know, just to illustrate that with some numbers, about 60% of respondents said they invested less than $50,000 at the beginning of the shift. Wow. Yeah, that was really surprising to me. And then, you know, another big chunk said they only invested between 50000 and 100000 So probably not as much investment when it's all added up as, you know, companies probably perceive. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I think some of the mindset, at least previous conversations I've had were, have to buy all of this equipment up front and then lease it back, right? Which is, I don't know if it's an archaic model, but it doesn't sound like you're having to invest these millions of dollars that at some point, some people was the impression of the investment. Yeah, it is a piece to work through to think about with your comp structures though, right? For incentivizing your sales teams on now how you determine what they're getting paid out on. So that is a piece of it, especially at Pivot to Profit. I heard a lot of conversations around that. And I, I heard multiple ways that people were doing it that worked for them. So that might be something where you phone a friend to come up with best cases for how to handle that. So is this planting the seed for possibly a next co-op survey for comp? Yeah, we're definitely going to do another survey together. And we've we've been talking about, you know, a number of, of challenges that face our industry and how we approach it. So uh, we'll see if COMPA makes the list. Well, I, I appreciate you guys sharing your research and, and we look forward to hearing future collaboration between, you know, USAV, PSA, NSCA. As always, you know, we, we love the partnership between the three organizations here. Um, Tom, thank you for your time today. Candace, as always, thank you for yours. Chris, always fun. And it's always good putting on a awesome podcast, videocast with our quality audio products sponsored by Shore. So thank you to Shore. Thank you to Studio Pod. And yeah, let's do this again soon, guys. I really appreciate your time. Look for those documents, the, the research on the PSA and USAV website. And if, if you have any questions, reach out to any, any of us, PSA, USAV, and NSCA. Thank you guys for your time, and we will talk soon. Hey. See y'all. Thank you. Guys.